everyone. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I'm here with Bridget. Hey, Bridget. How's it going? Hey, it's going well. How are you? How are you feeling after you did a time trial 10K yesterday? I did do a time trial 10K yesterday. Um, Dina Evans, coach of the Peninsula Distance Club, my coach, although I'm not part of PDC, um, put on a track meet or a, not a track meet, a an event, a time trial event that was PDC and friends. And so I guess I qualify as a friend. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. And so we went out to like San Jose, Guadalupe Parkway, like there's like a trail area um, and did a, a, a nice little time trial. Some some people were doing 10Ks. There was one woman doing a 5K. There were some 10 milers going on, um, half marathons. So um, yeah, my, my goal was to PR <laughs> in the 10K because my, my 10K PR is like on a short course, like it is mm, yeah. actually very short. And so I just don't count that. So my, yeah, my goal was to PR and my goal was to just stay as close as I, I can't, I could to, um, a woman on the team who is also a woman that I did rim to rim with in the fall, Melinda. Cause I was like, if I'm following her and can stand her, then I know I'm doing well. And Melinda and I were together for about a mile and a half. And then she took off and I was like, I'm still running pretty well. Melinda's just running faster. <laughs> um, so yeah, it felt, it felt good. It felt in control the entire time. Um, you know, definitely feel like I have more in me, which is good. Like I didn't, I didn't feel gassed or on empty, which you probably should if you're racing. But like when it's been so long since you really tried a 10K, I just, I didn't know. So yeah. um yeah, there's a lot, a lot to go there. I also was racing just like with such an immense sense of gratitude because there's that, that old saying of like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I was sort of like taking that, extrapolating that to running. Like if I'm the fastest person out here that I'm like with the wrong group. Yeah. So I've never been so grateful or just like excited to be just like DFL because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it gave me something to chase. I knew that's where I was going to be. There was no shame in it. it. I just felt so um, excited to be there. So yeah, it was, it was a good day. It was a lot of fun. That's that's so cool. I think that mentality of like embracing that like there are times when you're going to be in like such elite company that like you have to just be honored to be in the presence and accept that like dead fucking last is probably your fucking best. So like I think that's I, I love that. And I wonder too if like you were kind of thinking about things that we talked about in this amazing interview with Kim Conley because she's certainly someone who in this interview talks a lot about just like the eliteness of the women's running field, how she kind of throughout her career has been an underdog and has totally embraced that. I mean, the stories of of races, of the trials, you know, at, at both trials, the 2012 track trials and the 2016 track trials, we won't give it away, but interesting things happen where she has to kind of rally in very interesting ways and come back and in both cases make, make the team. Yeah, no, I definitely thought a lot about the conversation with Kim, like towards the end, um, like in our in our discussion with Kim, we we asked like, oh, what made you go up to the 10K? And she had a very mm. practical answer. But I was I was thinking about that 
And I was like, yes, this, this 10k distance, it is a wonderful distance. And like, a what, because you can run really hard. Yeah. Um, and it, it does feel short enough, but it doesn't have that same sort of like 5k pain, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. like torture. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was thinking about that toward the end of like that conversation of like, okay, this is, this should be comfortably hard, mm. right? Um, keeping it there, like, and then sort of thinking about some of the things that Kim said about like, you know, being in races with people that she admires and like yeah. staying in it mentally and always like giving her that, like a chance at the end mm -hmm. to have a kick, to do something amazing. And so that certainly helped push me through the last couple of miles when I think with any race, I don't think it matters the distance. Like it could be a mile. And if you're just going hard enough, you get you get mentally fatigued. And so I was definitely totally. feeling that yesterday. Like my legs felt pretty okay. Um, but I, I was just getting, you know, just towards the end of any race, you get mentally fatigued. Actually, my legs were feeling pretty okay, but I'm, I gotta say something. I, <laughs> I do not like the alpha flies there. I said okay. it. Okay. I'm putting a line in the sand of these, the Nike alpha flies. I had run in them for like a long run and they were fine, but then I raced in them yesterday and my calves were just killing me. Like, mm. and I usually don't get that kind of calf pain. And I was like, yeah. nope, I'm a, I'm a next, a uh, Vaporfly next percent girl. So I will be, um, reducing my stack height a little bit. Interesting. I haven't, forward. I haven't raced in the alpha fly, so I can't, I can't, uh, I can't comment, but I'm, I'm a fan of the, even the 4%. The 4% yeah. fly knits are a great one. The next percent super fun, but I think I'm with you because I, I can get very sensitive to like different stack heights, different, mm -hmm. um, different drops. And I, I too feel it immediately in my calves on hard efforts. If I've, if I've messed with my, you know, my kind of go-to ratios. <laughs> yeah. It was not a ratio that I liked. <laughs> Dina was like riding by in the first mile on her bike and she was like, you look so tall. And I was like, oh. with with height comes pain. I don't know. Right. Um, but with great height comes great pain. Comes great pain. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think they're for me. I think that yeah. like they are certainly for other people and that's wonderful. But I think it's like a good reminder that you have to do what works for you. Like don't get sucked oh. into the latest shoe technology. I mean, not that like vapor, vapor flies are obviously like the latest shoe technology too, but you have to do, you have to do what works for you. Um, so yeah, it, yesterday was just, it was just fun. It was fun to get back out there and like test myself and see what I had in me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to feeling like I'm in a place where I can, where I can do all of that. Um, but this week, Adam and I, so Adam has been doing a lot of like Zwifting and he started to do a little bit of running, which he hasn't done in many, many months um, because of a, a nagging Achilles issue. Uh, and we both have been so good about using Beam. So we do the like mm -hmm. different types of hydration depending on, on what kind of activity we're doing that day. So they've got the balance, they have performance and they have recovery. And every day he and I are taking those. And then every night we're doing the, the sleep, the CBD um, powder. And I think it was last night he turned to me and he's like, I don't think I've had this like 
long of a stretch of like good night's sleeps. And it made me think about it too. And I was like, you know what? I think that's right. Like I'm just sleeping better. And I think part of that is like the hydration during the day, you know, like properly fueling in that capacity with electrolytes and things that are going to help you kind of recover. Um, but the sleep, the sleep tea and just having a routine. So we're just like huge, huge fans. Um, have you been, have you been trying it? Have you been using it? Yeah, I love it. Actually, I'm sipping on the hydration drink, uh, the lemon one. It's so good. One other thing I was going to say that I've started trying. So my toe was bothering me like Mm. early in the week and in natural form. I was like, it's broken. (laughs) Broken my toe. (laughs) Yep. yep. Um, It's not broken. It just needs some love. And I have been putting the the CBD solve on it, the fixer solve. And I'm not saying it fixed my toe, but I'm also not not saying it fixed my toe. So yeah, yeah, I've been loving it. Um, All of their products are so great. I've also been using their focus um, daily Mm. supplements just because in the morning, like I feel like I need just to that like little boost um, to feel like I'm good to go for my long days. So all of their stuff is just excellent. Yeah, so good. And they've got amazing partnerships. I don't know about you, but I've been like scrolling through Instagram and I just see like all of these athletes that I really support and admire um, starting to use their products and posting pictures too, which just makes it feel like, oh, I'm in great company. Yeah. So if you want to be in great company and try their products, we've got a great deal. Um, they're giving Runners of the Bay listeners 15% off. Um, so go to beamtlc.com and then at the checkout, use ROTB. Yeah. And if you want to feel stronger than ever, make sure you're checking out your ever athlete. Like I've been saying, I just am so grateful for Matt and his team, like making sure that I have a really good prehab um, routine to like warm up my body, make sure I'm activating those glutes, stretching those hamstrings, everything. I mean, even just having that as part of my routine yesterday morning before I left to go run this time trial was so calming. It was like, okay, this is what I do. Um, And then when I got home, I did, or like, you know, a little later last night, my hips were feeling pretty tight. So I did some of the hip mobility. Mm. And what's awesome is like the hip mobility stuff. Some of the videos also incorporate like, you know, putting your hip against the wall with a ball, which which is very painful, but it's also (laughs) like just very therapeutic. Um, And so it's so nice to just have like everything in my arsenal for when I need it for depending on what it is. Like if I'm warming up for a run, if I'm feeling like I need to recover, if I just need to do, you know, the strength maintenance, which I am not great about, I'm really sorry, but I'm doing everything else. You know, I'm making sure that I'm, I'm warming up my body properly and then recovering properly. And so, yeah, we're still, you know, big fans. This is like the longest I've actually stayed with a prehab routine ever. Um, Me too. So, you know, there's something to be said about that. Um, But, you know, if you want to check it out, you can go to everathlete.tv. Our discount code is ROTB50 for 50% off your first month. It is 100% worth it. You will um, be so grateful. You will learn a lot. Um, The videos are great and it's just couldn't be easier. So again, we um, are so grateful to Beam, to Ever Athlete, to all of our guests. And, 
You know, another shout out I want to give to Kim is today is her birthday. So actually, we're we're recording this on a Sunday. It is Sunday, March 14th. This episode will be going out uh, this Tuesday. And when we talked to her, it was a few days before her birthday. But today is her 35th birthday. And so happy birthday to Kim. We hope that you have the best year ever. We're so grateful that you you came on the podcast and we think that you will love this episode. So enjoy this episode with Kim Conley. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. Today, we are so excited to have two-time Olympian Kim Conley with us. Welcome to the podcast, Kim. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So first things first, we did a little bit of stalking and your birthday is on Sunday. Is that right? March (laughs) 14th? Yep. Yep. 35. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. All right. I think like the 30s are the best. I'm 36. I think that prime years of our lives. So um, you are you doing anything fun to celebrate? Well, my mom is visiting. Um, it's her first time visiting us in Flagstaff. She lives in Santa Rosa, California. Um, so yeah, she she's a nurse. So she got all vaccinated. And so this is like her first big outing in over a year. Um, so we're excited about that. That's awesome. And we saw that you got your vaccine yesterday, right? Yeah, I have a sore arm. Um, yeah, that was just really lucky. We we put ourselves on a wait list at Safeway that or a Safeway an hour away where we'd heard sometimes they have leftovers at the end of the day in the pharmacy and they'll call you up um, instead of throwing them away. And we got a call a day later, so I I couldn't believe it, but it happened. Oh, that's it's like great. winning the lottery. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So other than the sore arm, you feeling okay today? Yeah, I am. I'm feeling fine. Yeah, I mean, that must be like, I don't know, I can't even imagine as athletes, like how you're feeling about that of not only just like when you're going to get the vaccine, but then once you get it, like how it might impact your training. I mean, I know personally, so I've, I'm fortunate enough to have been vaccinated. And I was like, well, am I going to miss a day of running? And like, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not training for races. I'm like, just freaking out about missing a day of training. But um you know, yeah. you have to fit it into your schedule and like not knowing how it's going to sort of impact things. I was definitely worried about that. Um, and my my husband, who is my coach, was the one that kind of had to hit pause on the way I was thinking and say, like, you're going to take a day off and it's you're going to be fine and, and you're going to be vaccinated. <laughs> so <laughs> that was helpful perspective for me. Super, I think so. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I, I know for me, like I had a little bit more of a reaction after my second dose. So I didn't mm-hmm. feel... Like I didn't, I was really nervous, um, but I just had, my arm was a little more sore after my second dose. And then I just felt like a little, I don't know, just like woozy, nauseous, but actually I did a pretty easy run and I felt so much better after I ran. So not saying like, probably not the best day to go out and do like a hard workout, but certainly if you're feeling okay, like it's all right to like, you know. Yeah. Go for go for an easy run. And then on Sunday, I felt I was texting Bridget. I was like, I feel like 100%. I'm superwoman. I got it last Friday. Saturday was like, you know, easy. And then by Sunday, I was totally fine. That's awesome. Perfect. Yeah. You're going to be good to go. That's <laughs> so good. I'm, And it's so like great to hear about different states that are doing that. I know California isn't doing anything like that. And it's making it so hard because then like at the end of the day, you have doses that 
that go to waste when really they should just uh, yeah. get in people's arms. Exactly. <laughs> That's what this yeah. pharmacist said is that she hasn't had to throw any doses away. They, apparently at the Safeway, they'll even announce it over the PA at the end of the day. Like if you're in the store and you haven't been vaccinated, come <laughs> to the pharmacy right now. <laughs> so I yeah, I know it's, it's very random. It's in Winslow, Arizona, like from the Eagle song standing on the corner. Um, and just, yeah, an, an hour outside of Flagstaff, but we heard about it. That's, That's great. great. Yeah. Is being vaccinated, you know, with all these kind of like COVID meets, I know you've been doing a lot of the like sound running meets. They look awesome. We are enjoying the coverage of them. Does being vaccinated like change any of the protocols for for you in terms of like ha- what you have to do before you can, before you can race? I'm not sure yet. I think my guess is they'll just still require two negative tests the way they have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, really for me, the biggest impact is I've, I've only been going to races that are like reasonably within driving distance. And so, you know, like two weeks after my, my second dose. So, you know, hopefully in about six weeks, um, I'll be open again to flying to different competitions. Um, lucky for me, there have been really good opportunities within driving distance. So I don't even know that I'll have to fly anywhere at this stage between now and the trials, but, um, at least, knowing that that'll be a possibility again will be nice. Yeah. Just opens, opens up things, you know, just, I, we've been yeah. living such like rigid limitations for so long. It's like nice to be like, Oh, my mom can come visit. And yeah. Like, if I were to raise mm-hmm. I could hop on a plane. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. The holidays so, were the hardest. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's hard. It was, it just you, your husband and your dog. What were the holidays like for you? Yeah. So, well, we had planned, we, we had a grand plan of, um, like going to Santa Rosa for Thanksgiving, doing a sea level camp, um, down in Southern California. And I raced down at one of those sound running meets, um, and then coming back to, to Santa Rosa for Christmas. Um, and, my brother and sister, like we were doing, I was kind of using like the race protocols for group gatherings, like in terms of two negative tests for Thanksgiving. Love it. And my brother and sister didn't do a great job of sealing their bubbles after their negative tests. So we, we called off Thanksgiving. It was just me and my mom and Drew. Um, and then by Christmas, all the restrictions had really tightened in California. So we felt like it was not smart or, or wise or whatever to, to drive back to Santa Rosa. So we ended up just coming back to Flagstaff. Yeah, I think a lot of people had... Uh, especially in California, a lot of people I know had plans and then were like, okay, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Walking around, yep. do anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with the trials like a hundred less than a hundred days away, um, like what do what do the next few weeks, months look like for you? Yeah. So um the most of the next races on the schedule are coming around in May. Um so this, like we're going into a bigger training block right now. Um and then it seems like you know, hopefully think, you know, everything continues to go well. I, I definitely think the sound running meets like there's one on May 14th. I think that'll go. There's a possibility that Mount Sac relays will come back at the very least for pros before then. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that there'll be even more races on the schedule come May and we'll just be able to, to build up to the Olympic trials. Um, you know, that's assuming that the Olympics take place, which all along I've felt very doubtful about, but the deeper into things we get now and there hasn't, hasn't been a cancellation. So I'm like, all right, I better start really wrapping my head around this <laughs> because it's just, I felt very skeptical, you know, to be completely honest all along, but, um, but it, you know, it, they haven't canceled them yet. So I think, I, I think it may really happen. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think like a year ago, 
the Olympics were still on for 2020 this time mm. last year. I, re- I was looking back at my calendar and actually it was a year to go, a year to go, a year ago today, if you're just looking at like calendar to calendar, that um, the Boston Marathon was canceled or like oh. postponed. Um, and that for me was like when it started to feel real, like, oh, no, yeah. this is um, this is really bad. So like as an athlete, you are you know, the calendar turns on January 1, it's 2020, it's an Olympic year, you're starting to like, wrap your head around that. And then you have to sort of stop and adjust and then like, recalibrate what what was that like for you last year? Um, It was, it was hard. But in the moment, I was I felt fine. And now when I look back, I'm like, wow, like I was totally off the rails. What was I doing? Um, But like, I remember, Right. Yeah. About a year ago, I I went to Santa Rosa for my birthday, actually. And I just knew I was like, the Olympics are not happening this year. And so then I just kind of like had a, like, a moment of like identity crisis, like, what am I doing? And um, I where, so where I grew up in Santa Rosa, Anadel State Park was just like my favorite place in the world to run. And, and I never do it anymore because it's very technical trails and, and really not conducive to the type of training I do for the track. Um, but I was just like, whatever, I'm going for a long run in Annadale. Like, like, what does it all mean? What is it? Nothing matters right now. Um, so, so that spirit that, that like I got swept in in that moment, I, I carried that, um, like throughout the entire spring once the Olympics had been postponed and there weren't any races on the schedule. And, um, we had come to Flagstaff to do an altitude camp and ended up staying four months and then ended up actually just moving here permanently. Um, but so yeah, in that time period, like between March and and May, June last year, I, I did a lot of trail running, um, just exploring new routes, things that were like going for like lots of vert and like mountain running, um, things I just don't normally do. But I was just allowing myself to kind of like rekindle that just pure raw love for running and and immerse myself in the the fun of it because it just seemed like the best way to cope. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think like we hear stories or like, I know that I've done some of that. Bridget's done some of that. Certainly non-professionals have done a lot of that, but it's interesting to hear like the way you approach it of like, what does it all mean? Like nothing (laughs) matters. I'm just going to go and sort of connect to why I love running in the first place. Um, So I don't want to like skip over the fact that you're like, oh, we're just going to move to Flagstaff. So like what? (laughs) It's like, okay. so you were, were you, you were splitting your time, right? I know you'd been in Sacramento mm-hmm. um, between California and Flag. So like, was it just like, oh, we've been here for so long and we're just going to stay here? And and do you still split your time at all? Or are you like firmly rooted in Flagstaff now? Yeah, so it's, we're, we're firmly rooted here now. Um, there were like a few factors involved. One of it was just like a growing sense of um, it, California was becoming challenging in fire season for training and mm-hmm. fire season seems to be like stretching out longer and longer, unfortunately. Um, so that was kind of in the back of our minds, like, man, like every like late summer into fall, like we're kind of like figuring out where we're going to be to, to avoid smoke. Um, so, so there's that factor. And then being here for four months in one stretch, like made me realize that I could do it at altitude. I was always a little bit wary of like spending that much time at altitude. I was afraid I'd get run down, but, um, I was fine. 
And then the third factor, and probably the most important, was my brother, who's lived in Japan for the last nine years, was moving back. And so he was moving into that. Like, it just was very seamless transition for him. He got his old job in Sacramento back and could move into the house that we'd been living in in Sacramento. Um, so the timing just really worked out to like make that a really easy transition for him. And, and we have a house in Flagstaff. And so we were like, you know, we're, we're ready to make this move anyway. So it just all worked out. A lot of, a lot of shuffling during COVID, but yeah, interesting. I'm so curious how, cause like I struggle so much at altitude. Like I can't imagine training full-time at altitude. Do you feel like you just kind of adapted more easily like has your training kind of shifted now that you're altitude based you know you were a sea level born and raised person born and trained for most of your life like I'm just so curious how that how that shift felt from a training perspective yeah I think um a big factor is that I've done so many altitude camps now like throughout my career that it used to feel a lot harder than than it had eventually got to it got to a place where we'd done some blood work and like, just like by the raw numbers, you would say like, she doesn't even respond to altitude. <laughs> and I was a little worried about it. But then I, I took it to a physiologist um, that I know at Sac State. And he said, well, actually, it's because you went into altitude with all your numbers really high. And that's because you go there so regularly. So you don't see the same benefit necessarily. Um, but it's because you're there so often that you're just like keeping all your numbers really high. Um, so I think I was probably already just really well adapted when I got here. Um, and since living here, I've noticed that I just don't really feel like, like I don't do hard, hard training sessions up here. I still go down to like 3000 feet for them. So I can't really speak to like, what if I tried to run five minute miles up here or something? Um, but in terms of just like, you know, going away and then coming back and going for a run, I don't get that sense of like, well, I'm breathing so hard or anything anymore. I wish I had that. <laughs> go up to Tahoe. And like, <laughs> why? I've always wanted to spend some time at altitude, but or I guess I sort of have. I I did a trip to Peru a few years ago, but I didn't even try like running. It was just mostly hiking through all of the mountains in Peru. But the altitude was definitely hard. But I did come back and like ran. I remember coming back down to Lima. And running so fast on the treadmill and just trying to like fast for me. And just I'm like, this is not going to last very long. I need to like run as fast as I can while I have this altitude in me. Um, but yeah, very cool. So you mentioned um, you're from Santa Rosa. So you're from Northern California. You know, what what are some of your earliest memories of running um, growing up? Um, wow. Well, I so I started running, I joined the Santa Rosa Express when I was 11. Um, and then, and like, kind of, I think like most people, like distance runners, you know, figured out pretty easily that distance was my best event. And we, we did try all the events on the track. Um, but I could barely jump onto the mat, let alone clear a bar and the high jump, for example. Um, <laughs> you know, not to mention like a throwing event. So the, the distance races were what I took to. And then I, um, joined the junior high cross country team. And I just, I had great coaches and teammates, um, that I loved. So I just loved the entire like social aspect. And then when I got to high school, um, I was part of a really amazing team. Sarah Bay now hall was a senior when I was a freshman and we won the state meet, um, as a team. 
And so that was just like this amazing introduction to running. You know, it was like we had this great team and we had so much fun. We had a coach that didn't put any pressure on us at all. It was just all about like, I want you to develop your love for running. And we did all our training in Annandale State Park, just trail running, basically, you know, like it was just wasn't very like intense compared to some high school programs are, especially these days. Um, so I just really like developed this love for running. And at the same time we had amazing success, which is, you know, winning's really fun too. Um, so, so it was just like this great introduction to what cross country could be basically. That like high performance, but low pressure, I think is so critical at, at a young, at a young age, you know, that, that developing the love of the process and just running trails, but not feeling the rigidity and not feeling the pressure to like start running high mileage necessarily. Like if it happens, then it happens because you just love it, but not feeling that pressure of, of having it come from a coach who's like the metrics and wear a watch and all of the, all of that stuff, that stuff can come later. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I didn't start wearing a watch till college. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, also like the, the beauty in being a part of that team was, you know, I, on any given day, I was somewhere between a number two and number six runner on the team. Um, and, and I just like my introduction to running was like, I didn't, I didn't win any races. It didn't matter. I wasn't trying to win races. It was all about like, how well am I going to perform for the team? Um, and, and feeling like my role within the team was really important. And so, you know, even if like, coming down the home stretch of a race, I was like duking it out with someone for like 29th and 30th place. Like that still mattered. Um, and, and so that really, I think helped me feel like, like, you know, what I was doing was important, even though I wasn't someone that was winning races. Do you think too, like having like Sarah on the team and seeing sort of all of the success that she had in high school, like did that and, and possibly other teammates of yours, like did that sort of influence how you felt as a part of the team and like, what did that look like after maybe like Sarah graduated and your role on the team as a leader, you know, throughout the rest of your high school career? Yeah, absolutely. She, um, like Sarah was the one that taught me all about goal setting and, um, and she just, she was just a great leader in terms of like teaching us about diligence and discipline and, and creating good habits that led to success. Um, but still kind of making it fun. It was like, it was kind of like a game, but we were, um, but we were also just like staying really on point, like with nutrition and, you know, I don't know, like, you know, getting in, getting in runs when we weren't meeting for practice and stuff like that. Um, and so, so that definitely taught me a lot. And then I, especially like winning that state title, you know, as a team, it shut that entire process of like, you know, setting the goal and then being really disciplined and then having, being able to accomplish the goal. I was like, wow, this is how it works. This is amazing. Um, and, and so that did teach me a lot and I did, um, try to (laughs) fill her shoes after she graduated and, and I was a number one runner after that. I definitely don't think I was as good of a leader as she was. And I certainly wasn't, um, as good of an athlete as she was, but, um, I did my best. (laughs) I mean, and, and like, I'm sure that it's cool to see sort of her longevity in the sport and like what she's been able to do now. I mean, we started by saying like, you're turning 35 this weekend and like, it, it almost feels like age is just, it's just a number. Like we can all do incredible things. And I think like there are so many women, not just Sarah, who have sort of shown us, shown us that way. Um, you know, we'll, we'll probably release this episode on Tuesday and just for our listeners, it's women's history month. So we're celebrating, you know, strong women that are, are good role models. And I think like women are just 
amazing. I'm all, I'm like so impressed with everything that women do. I mean, we make life anyway. Um, so like throughout, uh, what was the transition like from, you know, high school to college? Like, did you know early on that you wanted to run in college? And then what was that decision like of, of where to go? Yeah, I, um, yeah, I did know early on, you know, and, and part of that was Sarah's influence, like watching her, you know, as a freshman, I was watching her go through the process of getting recruited by Stanford and, and, you know, signing on to go there. Um, and so I, I knew early on that I wanted to go to Davis. Um, I just, there are a lot of people from Santa Rosa that end up at UC Davis and would come back and tell me about, um, this utopia where people bike everywhere and the campus is closed to cars. <laughs> and, um, so I just kind of developed this image, even though I'd never been there, but I developed an image in my head of what it was. So when I was in eighth grade, I asked my parents for a bike for Christmas. Cause I was like, oh, I'm taking this to Davis with me one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so when the coach called me at the beginning of my senior year, like, it's so funny now because I've coached and at Davis and made those recruit calls. And um, I look back now and I'm like, man, Jason had it so easy. Like I never talked to a high school athlete that was as enthusiastic as I was when he called, I was like, Davis is my dream school. (laughs) Like, yeah, I want to come on a recruit visit. I can't wait. Um, and so, yeah, I, (laughs) he called, I went on the recruit visit and, that was like early October and I signed a letter of intent in November. Um, yeah, it was, I was Davis all the way. I took that bike with me that had been sitting in the garage since eighth grade. It got stolen right away, oh, no. um, <laughs> but it did make the trip. <laughs> That's the college experience though. Like exactly. I feel like everyone at Stanford has had their bike stolen too. So <laughs> it's all just part of it. <laughs> I went to school in New yep. York city and I don't think I know anyone who, had a bike and didn't have it stolen. So it's like, it's just a rite of passage. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's like, also, I think there's something so cool about like setting your mind to something so young and then having it like come true, whether or not sort of it meets your expectations. I find like when you set a goal and you're able to accomplish it, accomplish it, there's always like this yeah, yeah. feeling of like, wait, what? I'm here now. Like I did this. How exciting. Right. Um, so did, did Davis live up to all of your hopes and dreams? Was it a utopia? Yes, uh, certainly on on that front, um, in terms of, yeah, the people biking everywhere. And yeah, just feeling like it's I mean, it, I mean, it's every college town now is what I appreciate more. Um, but I, I definitely belonged in a college town setting. I really loved that. Um, and I absolutely loved being a part of the team there. I had, you know, great experience. Um, just, yeah, with all the like team culture and stuff. Um, in terms of performance, that was the only disappointing thing. And, and, and I don't want to make it sound too bad. Like I PR'd every year and I, you know, I took, I, I debuted in the 5,000 as a freshman at 1727 and graduated with a PR of 1617. So like there was lots of progress. Um, but I just, I went there thinking like, I'm going to be someone that goes to NC2As and is an all American and on the track, um, I got food poisoning at regionals my fourth year, and then my shoe came off and I DNF'd my fifth year. And so I, I never went to nationals, certainly didn't finish as an All-American. So um, that was very disappointing. But the silver lining was that I graduated feeling like I had a ton of unfinished business. Um, and and so, you know, graduating with PR 16, 17 wasn't really like, you know, I wasn't signing any endorsement contracts or really like going pro. Um, but I had to keep running because I knew I had more in me. 
How do you think that like that feeling like you had the unfinished business that like things that were not related to necessarily running, getting food poisoning, having a shoe fall off? Like, do you think that that's kind of helped with like longevity in the sport? Because like a lot of people kind of seem to have this dip in college where they kind of like burn out. They're like, I don't know, I need to take some time off. But it feels like maybe these like unforeseen events kind of let you feel like, oh, no, this is still there's still a lot here. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that, that experience, it, it made me without ever, without knowing like the buzzword back then, it made me very process oriented. Um, and, and so when I graduated, it was like, you know, there wasn't, you know, I wasn't, there was no more like being an all American that was out the window. Um, but I did kind of have the far off goal of like, well, what if I could get to the Olympic trials? That would, that would be an accomplishment I'd be really proud of. Um, but even that, you know, to qualify was a long way off from where I was, but I just felt like, well, you know, the 16 minute barriers out there and I still have never tried the 10,000. Um, so there were just like, there was more to do, um, and more rungs kind of on my own personal ladder that I wanted to achieve. And so that was like the, the impetus to keep going. So did you make a decision like right after college, like maybe you're not signing a pro contract or you're not like going pro per se, but you're not done. Like, did you feel any pressure to be like, get a real job or like do these things? Or were you sort of more single-minded on, no, I'm going to try to like do this running thing and see where it goes. Yeah. Well, kind of both. I mean, I, I like, yeah, when you put it like that, like I was pretty like single-minded and I, like I made the decision for myself, but it wasn't easy to communicate to the people in my life. You know, like I, I had a boyfriend all through college and, and he and his family were like, no, 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 no. Like, what are you doing? It's time to grow up and move on from sports was actually the way his mom put it. And I, that was, that was kind of the beginning of the end of our relationship. Um, and, um, and even my parents, you know, I was on track to go to physical therapy school. I'd, you know, done all the prereqs, um, taken the tests, you know, got like, I'd gotten accepted, um, to some schools and, and it was right at that time that I was like, this isn't what I want to do. Like, I, I like, I need to find out how good of a runner I can be. And, you know, I think for any parent that's like, what are you talking about, honey? Like, how good of a runner you can be? Like, how's that going to pay the bills? <laughs> so, so that was difficult, but, but they came around and I think actually like having my shoe come off at regionals, like my disappointment over that almost helped them feel like, Oh, like we, they wanted to support me to, to, to do something that made me feel fulfilled. And so when everything was said and done, they said, okay, we're going to give you a year where we support you, like continue to support you so that, you know, you can chase this dream and, and then you have to figure out how you're going to pay your own bills kind of a thing on your own. Um, but they were really supportive in that regard to giving me that chance. And, and that was what I needed is that one year. Um, and then, and I signed on as a volunteer assistant at UC Davis. Um, and then after that first year, UC Davis was able to hire me as an assistant. So, um, that was, that was how I kind of like made that bridge work. The shoe coming off is, uh, is something that you encounter later on in your career as well. Have you had it happen twice? <laughs> Yes, I have. Um, and I definitely learned some things from the first time and, and I, I handled it a little better the second time, although um, it still didn't really work out for me. Oh my, was that the, that was the 2012 twi trials? The 2016 trials. Yeah. 2016. Okay. Okay. Because yep. you have like, yep. I mean, the 2012 trial, trials were amazing for one reason, that lean and yeah. that kick. Holy moly. Um, 
but yeah, then 2016. So you, it was in the 10, it was in the 10, you were running the 10 K and then you 20 laps in, right? Someone yeah. You? I, um, yeah. I think the shoe came off like three miles in and, and so, so in 2009 in college, when it happened, um, I was, I, it was like flapping underneath my foot and I kicked it onto the infield and tried to run barefoot. And, and that was how I ended up dropping off. You know, it was just kind of like chaos. And so I'd learned from that experience, like, no, you have to like put your shoe back on and then try to work your way back up to the field. <laughs> so that was what I did in 2016. I pulled off into lane three. My, my shoes were just tied so tightly though. <laughs> I had to sit down on the track oh, and really no. get leverage <laughs> over my heel. Um, and so then I tried to just like very methodically work my way back up through the pack and, and it was a hot day, um, at the trials in 2016. And so people were really like splintering apart. So it was kind of like, I could just focus on one person at a time, um, as people fell off that main pack, but right. Yeah. Five miles in, I realized like I, I was getting tired. It was hot. And the top like four women were just too far away. And that's when I had to kind of critically assess, like, am I, all along, I'd been like, because of 2012, of having that huge comeback in 2012, I like convinced myself during that race, I was just like, this is fun. Like, I'm gonna have another like crazy comeback. Like, this is just who I am. And then <laughs> five miles, I had to be like, okay, that was a nice idea, but it's probably not realistic. Um, so I, I dropped out and because I had the Olympic standard in the 5000 also. So I, I had to kind of do that critical assessment and say like, no, you, you need to put your eggs all in the 5,000 meter basket now and save yourself for that race. Probably good. Good thinking. It worked out. Worked, spoiler <laughs> alert. It worked yeah. out for her. Um, <laughs> but so there, it's a long way between graduating college, not making to NCAAs, you know, not, not sort of having a pro contract to making two Olympic teams. Um, you know, what were the, what was that journey like from graduating, you're getting a year, from your parents to support you to 2012, you make your first team. Yeah. Um, very gradual really. And, and I think it was just so shocking in 2012 when I made the team because it was just gradual enough that nobody ever noticed me along the way. Um, I just took little chunks of time off my 5,000 meter PR, like almost every race. Um, and so, yeah, when I graduated from Davis, my PR was 16, 17. And then my first year out of college, I chipped away at it and ran 1551 um, by the end of the season. And then my second year out of college, I chipped away at it and ran 1538 by the end of the season. And then third year out of college was 2012. And I opened my season. This was probably my big, biggest breakthrough, really. But, you know, again, like it wasn't significant enough that anyone else would have noticed. But I, I opened the season with a 1524. So jumping from 1538 the season before to opening the season 1524 was a pretty big jump. Um, and it was only five seconds off the Olympic standard. And so that was the first time that I was like, because I kept making these jumps in the 5,000, that's when I was like, I could PR again by five seconds at the Olympic trials. Like, that's what I do. Like, I, like, I just like take these little chunks of time off my PR. And then as I watched the season unfold, um, I felt like, it was possible to contend for a top three finish at the Olympic trials. I wrote, I wrote on my goal sheet top five, cause I thought that was more realistic, even though there were definitely some friends that were like, why would you not write type th top three in an Olympic year? <laughs> I was like, no, I think top five is like a good goal for me. Um, <laughs> so I was a little stubborn about that, but I, I put as my dream goal to make the Olympic team. Um, but so I went to the 2012 Olympic trials kind of like, 
just within sniffing distance of being a contender and believing in my heart that it was entirely possible for me to do it. You know, maybe not on paper, the most probable outcome, but, um, I just, I knew, I knew I was right there and had what it took. And you, you were top five with like a hundred two meters <laughs> to go. And then like, I mean, we'll put a link to the video of the, of this race because it is like goosebump worthy. I mean, do you feel like a kick is your kind of secret weapon? Is that something that you, you had, like you felt like you had in your back pocket? Like walk, tell us what is going, like what is happening in that moment in that hundred meters? <laughs> well, <laughs> The way the race unfolded, because I needed the standard, I led a lot of the race, which isn't ideal yeah. in a championship setting. Um, you know, you, I, I do think, like, I think I have a decent kick, um, and I definitely favor races when I, where I can like tuck in and use that. But on that day, in those circumstances, I felt like I couldn't afford to let the pace drag, so I kept going to the lead um, and pushing the pace, and that was kind of tiring. And then I did something I should never do because it never works out for me. I looked at the clock um, and I saw my 3000 meter split and I was like, oh man, this is way too slow. Like we're never going to get the Olympic standard. And so then I really fell out of contention. It just like got in my head that like, you know, that, that dream was out the window. Um, so then I, I fell back to eighth place and I was just kind of like coasting in eighth place, feeling a little bit sorry for myself or just kind of like, well, I gave it my best effort and that wasn't good enough. And then with 600 meters to go, I heard Drew yelling for me and I just kind of like snapped out of it. I was like, we've worked so hard. And, you know, it was like my parents had supported me and he had supported me so much. And I was like, why am I not just like giving this race everything I have in me and who cares what the actual like finish place is? It, it just has to be better than this. Um, and I was like in eighth place, but there were like three people right in front of me. Like, so it like, you know, in, in three steps, I moved into fifth place. And, um, and so then, yeah, going into the last lap, I was in fifth place and I was looking ahead and I could see Molly and Julie, um, passing Julia who had made a really hard move with 1200 meters to go. And the way, like, the rate at which they were moving was just so much faster than the rate that Julia was moving that I was like, wow, she's really slowing down. And so then I started thinking like, I really thought like Olympic trials or Olympic uh, standard out the window, not making the Olympic team here today. But I was like, what if I could stand on the Olympic trials podium? Like that would be amazing. Like my dream in 20, 2009 was to get to the Olympic trials. And if not only am I here, but like if I stood on the podium, like that would be so cool. So that's when like 300 meters ago, I just started bearing down. Like, I think I could catch her. I think I could stand on the podium and this would just like be this huge, like honor and accomplishment. Um, and so I wasn't even paying attention to Abby who was in fourth place. Like I was just, <laughs> I was just like third place. There it is. You can do it. And so I came off that final turn and then I heard the crowd just like roaring. Like they were seeing like, whoa, this crazy drama is unfolding. And I was just, that's when I was like, I'm doing it. <laughs> 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 and then I don't know why I leaned at the line other than I've leaned at invisible lines messing around like a hundred times in my life, just like racing boys back to the track. Like we lean at the invisible line, you know, crossing the gate into the track and we just like, like pretend like we're sprinters or whatever. And I've just rehearsed it in play like throughout my entire life. And so it came out in that moment, um, the lean. And then, yeah, like you say, 
top five and top three and top five was separated by less, you know, a fraction of a second. Um, and, and I ended up taking third by 0. 0.04 and then getting under the Olympic standard. And, and that was how I made that team. Wow. <laughs> Did you know so right away or were you like, what just happened? Like, I have no idea what, <laughs> if, if I finished third, if I finished fourth, if I got the standard, like what was going through your yeah, mind? <laughs> I felt like, well, so my momentum crossing the line, like, you know, like at the line, it was like neck and neck, but like, you know, a few steps beyond the line, I was so far ahead of them that I felt like I was pretty sure I got third. Um, but then because the, the finish table was sorting out the photo finish, it took forever for the results to appear. And so I just was like standing there like, oh my gosh, I think I got third and I'm pretty sure I didn't get the Olympic standard. And I was like, now I have to go into the mix zone and like be like like be the person that like got top three but doesn't go to the olympics and so i was like trying to um prepare myself to have like good things to say to the media and um you know wouldn't be like too defeatist so i was just like all right like you know this is going to help me believe that i can make the world team in 2013 like i'm going to come back in 2016 ready to like make the olympic team and you know i was just kind of like giving myself this little pep talk of like you know you're going to go face all these questions and, you know, you just have to like, you know, be positive and forward thinking or whatever. Um, and then the results popped up and the Olympic rings were next to my name. And then I, I was just like blown away. I was just, it was the most shocking moment of my life. <laughs> it's so cool. It's, it's, such, <laughs> it's such a cool moment to watch. I mean, hearing you describe it, but like your facial expressions, I mean, <laughs> nobody can watch that video and not be like, oh, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> what? What did that do for your confidence? Like going into the, obviously like going to the games is like a whole different thing, but then even, even after, like as a competitor, as someone who like really not only deserves to be there, but like is leading the way at those races. Yeah. It, um, oh man, it just changed everything, you know, like, so like I signed a contract with New Balance like the day after the race. So then it was like, whoa, I'm really a professional runner. Like, you know, so there was like that dream fulfilled. And then I went to London and I didn't make the final, um, but I PR'd again by another five seconds. So it was just kind of like, okay, like, you know, I I ran the best race I had in me and and fell short, but I just felt like I had all this positive momentum. And, and so I left London just feeling so excited for the next four years. I just really like believed um, I'm going to get to Rio and I'm going to be an even better athlete when I get there. And, and it's just like the first time as an athlete that I started thinking in terms of Olympic cycles um, and kind of like, you know, have, have a four year block where you're like building up to an Olympic moment did that transition so now you're a pro you're thinking about olympic cycles like both psychologically and like from a training perspective how does that like that pressure psychologically change how you feel about your running and like did it immediately change kind of how you approached these workouts and maybe your flexibility or were you just like nope process based going back to basics like i know who i am I'm not going to like worry about this. You would, you would probably get a funny, funnier answer if um, you had my husband coach drew here on the podcast. Cause he, he's, he found it a very challenging time coming off the Olympics to with me. Um, but it like the best way I can describe it is, you know, you take the standard two weeks off and, you know, immediately you're completely out of shape, which is just always like kind of mind blowing. Like, you know, it takes months to get into that peak shape and then you can lose it all so quickly. 
Um, and, and I was still, um, coaching at UC Davis. And so we went off to camp, um, right as I was getting started running again and the women on the team there were just like, like taking off on a run. And I was like, how could they be faster than me? Like, this is, you know, like, like I went to the Olympics. (laughs) So then I'm like chasing them. And, and by the end of that run, I had strained my calf and had to walk back to the cars. Oh no. Drew <laughs> was like, what are you doing? And I was like, two weeks ago, I was an Olympian and like, and you made me take this time off. <laughs> it was like, I wasn't handling it gracefully to say the least. Um, but, <laughs> but once, once my calf healed and I got back in shape, um, then, then I was just like on a tear. I was Um, I was a little afraid that people would think I was a fluke. And so I felt like I had a lot to prove. Um, and so I, I put us cross country and, and world cross country as like the next two big events that winter on my schedule. Um, and I, I just got like really fit, really excited. I was really motivated to do well, just, um, just to kind of like, I know it probably sounds silly, like, cause I'd made it to the Olympics. Like, what did I have to prove? But I felt like I had so much to prove to people, like, that it wasn't just this like one-off moment. I think that's like incredibly relatable. I mean, with like anything, whether it's athletics or work or just whatever, I I, I definitely have a lot of like, <laughs> and I won't call it you had imposter syndrome, but like I definitely have imposter syndrome. And it's mm-hmm. like, I have to keep reminding myself that like, oh no, like I'm either talented enough, smart enough, like whatever. There's a reason that that happened. And like, give myself that pep talk um, continuously because mm-hmm. it's so easy to, to feel that way. Um, but mm-hmm. clearly, clearly not a fluke. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, what? So like after that sort of, you said cross country, like you wanted to go and, and do cross country. What was it about cross country that um, sort of brought you back there? Um, well, I think that the idea that it was just like very strength based. So I could spend, um, the fall and winter just like getting really, really strong. And then, um, it, it was like in, so when I graduated college and, and drew, drew was coaching me. Um, and he had put out this idea of like world cross country. I think he called it like the lowest hanging fruit, um, in terms of like going to a world Mm -hmm. championships, you know, like compared to like going to the world championships on the track, he was just like, you know, that that's an attainable goal for you right now. Um, and it's a way to, you know, put on the U S singlet and all that. And so from like, from the outset, I was kind of like, Oh, like I want to get to world cross country championships. And in 2010, I was like 18th at the U.S. championships. And then in 2011, I was just like so diligent and dedicated, did my first altitude camp, was just like like locked in on the U.S. championships in cross country as like the thing. Um, and I was going to make that world team. And, <laughs> and it was kind of funny because he called it the lowest hanging fruit. And then that year, like everybody showed up. It was like <laughs> Shalane Flanagan, Molly Huddle, <laughs> Lisa Yule, like, <laughs> and, 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 you know, when I look back, I'm like, no, I ran a really good race that I should have been proud of at the time. Um, I was, I finished eighth and, and Kara Goucher was seventh, um, but it wasn't good enough to make the world cross country team. <laughs> and, and so I was really, really disappointed. That was like, that was one of those moments, you know, kind of when I look back now, I'm like, oh, it was all right there. And I was poised to make an Olympic team in 2012. But at the moment I was like, do I have a future in this sport? Like that was the 
best I had in me, like the best training, the best race I've ever had. And it's just still not good enough. Um, and so in 2013, it was like, then I knew like, okay, like I am going and I'm making this world cross country championships because it was kind of like this, um, I don't know, elusive goal out there. Yeah. I mean, that is so funny. It's like, oh yeah, like world cross country, like it's not, it's <laughs> amazing, but it's not the Olympics, but then you're lining up next to like Shalane and Kara and others. And you're like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's still I know, pretty exactly. tough. Like, even though the yeah. stakes aren't necessarily like as high in terms of the event, it's like your competition is still the same. Like that hasn't yeah, yeah gotten any easier. Yep, exactly. Um, so what, like you were firmly like a, a 5,000 meter runner, um, uh, cross country. Like, so when did you start deciding to move up to the 10 K? Yeah. Well, so actually I first moved up to the 10,000 in 2010, mm -hmm. right after college, because back then the standard was much easier than it is today. And it was much easier compared to the 5,000. So I really wanted to make the team or make the team, make the U S championships in the 5,000. Um, but I ran the 10,000 just to get the standard because I knew I could. And so, and then I didn't end up qualifying in the 5,000. So in 2010, I ran the 10,000 at the U S championships, got lapped by Amy Urtabegli and um, Lisa Cole, um, and I remember after my mom being all excited, like the neighbors saw you on TV and I was like, well, they saw me on TV when I was getting laughed. <laughs> but, but that was, so that was why I originally moved up to the 10,000 was just be, so I could get to USA's. Um, and then the reason after that, after 2012, that I wanted to keep moving up was, because of not making the final in London, I was like, well, the 10,000 is a straight mm -hmm. final. Um, so then you don't have to worry about the rounds. So that, that seemed like a nice option. <laughs> like very pragmatic reasons. I love it. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, yeah. So then you, I mean, we can talk about 2016, but you really thought like your best shot probably, I won't, I don't want to put words in your mouth was like in the 10, in the 10,000, right. For the team. And so that's what you were focused on. Yeah. And that's when this shoe thing happened again. Um, but then, you know, tell us about like how you rebounded from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, so I, you know, decided to drop out of the race five miles in um, and, you know, and it's so loud at Hayward Field. Like there was no way I could see where Drew was or try to have any type of communication with him. But it, it turns out that that he, at that exact point, he was thinking like she needs to get off the track and save herself for the 5,000. So fortunately we were on the same wavelength there. Um, and, and so I kind of like hustled through the mix zone and got to where, you know, he, he and I could meet. And I remember I was just like, what do we do now? And he was like, you're going to take an ice bath. Like, it was like, I was like big picture, like, Oh my gosh, everything's blowing up. And he was just like, totally focused. Like you're going to take an ice bath and then you're going to get a good meal in you and you're going to recover. And we're going to come back on the 5,000. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Um, and so then I just spent the next days trying to relax. Like I'd been pretty tightly wound going into the 10,000, just, you know, nervous. Um, and, and so after, you know, after it was kind of like the balloon had popped a little, then I was just like, okay, like everything's different. You know, originally, you know, my whole plan was to make the team in the 10,000 and then leave Eugene, go to altitude, get ready for the Olympics. Like I just like had this all laid out and it was like all out the window. 
So then I was just like, was kind of like spinning things in my mind, like, okay, like I'm going to like do all these other things in Eugene and I'm going to see these people and I'm just going to like enjoy the fact, you know, I love the Olympic trials. I think it's a great event and I'm going to um, enjoy the fact that now I get to spend all 10 days here and um, just tried to, I don't know, enjoy it. And so then, and, and that was kind of like the nice thing about rounds in the 5,000 is then I went back out on the track again and, you know, and the task isn't as isn't as daunting when it's just to make the final. And so it was like, all right, I'm going to soak this in. And I love Hayward field. And so I took care of business that day. And then by the time I got to the fi- the final of the 5,000, it was kind of like third time out on the track. And it was like, yeah, like, I love this. This is fun. And, um, and I just, <laughs> I just embraced that mindset, um, for the whole race down to the last lap and then, um, and then let it rip to, to move up into the third position. And and I'm assuming you knew you knew that you made the team, like you had the stand, or yeah, like no sort of <laughs> yes. waiting, giving that pep talk of like, well, you know, I got on the podium. No, but that one. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, yeah, that was a weirder race because there were people in the five thousand that had already made the team in the ten thousand, yeah. and so we kind of knew like you didn't even need to get third that it was going to go deeper. Um, and so actually like go like in the last lap, I was like, I think I was in fourth and I was like, this is still like, I'm still going to make the team here. And then I was just like, no, I want the flag. Like, <laughs> because in 2013 I was fourth, um, but Jenny Simpson had won the 5,000. And so I still went to the world championships, but I didn't get to take the victory lap. Um, cause I wasn't in, in the top three and I was like, no, like this is the Olympic trials. I want the flag on it. I want to like, go take that victory lap and give hugs to, you know, my people. Um, so I, I got up and motivated to move myself into third position just for that totally like external thing. (laughs) But I think like sometimes those external things are important because otherwise you might just like start to mentally like kind of give up and then, or just like jog it in and, you know, it's important to stay like focused in races, even if you know, like in the back of your mind, you can maybe not try as hard and still get the end result. It's like, no, like staying yeah. super focused on the task is, is important. Yeah. And like, also who doesn't want like a little flag to, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so fun. <laughs> Thank you, get, you. You get the Thank pictures, you. all the things. So yeah, <laughs> totally yeah. understand that. What, how is your mindset different going into Rio than it was London? Um, yeah. I mean, London was just, the whole thing just felt like a whirlwind. I was like, you know, so shocked and I felt like I was, writing a huge adrenaline rush for like a good six or eight weeks. Um, you know, it was just, the whole thing was thrilling. Um, and Rio was way more like I planned to be there. It was like, I'd spent four years preparing, um, to get there. And, and I was, there was definitely an element of relief. It was just, you know, after the, the 10,000 miss, it was just kind of like, Ooh, okay. Like, you know, thank God I still made this team. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there definitely wasn't the same feelings of like elation, I guess. Um, And then the actual experience was disappointing because I, you know, I'd spent four years um, with the goal of returning to that stage to be a better athlete. And, and really I had turned into a better athlete. Like I, you know, I'd, I'd PR'd in everything from the 800 through the 10,000. I moved up to the half marathon and I'd won a national title in the half marathon and won the national title in the 10,000. And and so I, I did everything I felt like I needed to do to be that like better athlete. I had kind of like crafted in my mind. And then I had the exact same result in Rio as in London. I finished 12th in my heat and didn't make the final. And so 
coming home from Rio, you know, whereas coming home from London, I was just like so motivated and like, you know, I'm going to return in four years and even better athlete coming home from Rio. I felt really like, Oh, wow. Like, you know, all that. And, and I was just finished in the exact same spot. So how do you, how do you cope with that? What is that? What, what is, what are the next few days? What does that, that mental process look like of like getting back to, to loving it, to being process oriented. Like what were the, what were the goals? Actually, I, you were signed up for a road race. So I'm not saying that yeah. this was the best approach, but what I did was I made my marathon debut yeah. <laughs> and, um, and at the, in the moment it seemed great, you know, just like, you know, get back in the saddle and get over Rio and, and move on to the next thing. Um, but the way it worked out was that I got to mile 16 of the marathon and I was just like, I am exhausted and I have 10 more miles till this year is over. Like, and I just need to get through them. <laughs> um, and that, that, that was just a very humbling experience, which, um, you know, I understand is the marathon. Um, but yeah, and, and I will go back to the marathon <laughs> after this year. Um, but it definitely like gave me pause. Yeah, we ran the same race, the 2016 New York City Marathon. You were oh, nice. a little further ahead than I was, but um, I mean, I think it's an incredible. It's so I've I've run uh, all of the major marathons in the U.S. So you know, New York, Chicago, Boston, and I just New York is like it's my favorite. It's the the marathon I would run again and again, but it's hard. Um, and it is and anyone's first marathon, like whether you're a pro or an amateur, like is is super humbling um but like if you're taking sort of the result out of it and maybe you can't separate the two like what was that experience like for you I mean just running through the streets of New York is like there's nothing like it with the crowds and the cheering and and everything it's like the most um you you almost feel like you're and maybe maybe you didn't feel this way at, at mile 16, but like that you're, and also I think mile 16 is like over the bridge. It's like that on the <laughs> yeah. first Avenue. So that's a lonely time. Um, but like, it almost feels like you're sucking energy from the crowd, but like, what was, what was that like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the energy is just amazing. And, and, you know, and it's my only marathon. So, you know, I, I think it's probably true of, of lots of other marathons, but, um, yeah. I mean, and, and just like to have that, I don't know, like perspective, like the tour of the city in that way, like it's so unique. Um, and so it's just so cool. Like I really, I really did love it. And, and I loved the entire block of training leading up to it. Like I, I just felt so good about myself, like getting ready to run a marathon. Like it's just such a huge accomplishment, I think, to cover 26.2 miles. It's amazing. And, um, yeah. So I just, well, you guys are getting me excited now. I can't wait to try to finish the marathon again. <laughs> yeah. Marathons are, are hard, but they're great. Yeah. And I think what part, like part of what makes it great is again, that crowd, that sense that like it's bigger than just you individually. Um, I never competed on the track, so I can't compare, but it's, um, like, even if it doesn't go as planned, I also feel like you always learn something. You're like, okay, that didn't work out, but that doesn't discount like all of the fitness that I've built through the training cycle. That doesn't discount what I learned or the fact that I even finished because finishing a marathon, like 
in and of itself is a huge accomplishment. Um, and so there is something super special about it, but it is, it is hard. Um, the training does, I mean, again, I'm Bridget and I train at the amateur level. We're not running high hundred mile weeks. Um, but it does take a toll on your body and it is like very, very time intensive. And it all does feel like you've got this one shot, right? Like you have to execute on this one day and you don't get very many chances. And if something goes wrong, like it, it can feel devastating. Um, so it has its, um, pluses and minuses, but I think we're fans of it for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. So you decided after that, you were like, maybe this isn't for me right now. And then you did like go back and focus on the track. So was that like, okay, no marathons for a while? Or um, what was your thought after that? No, it, what, well, what really happened is um, I just got into a pretty bad injury cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I went back to the track, but I wasn't quite right and tried to you know, make a track season happen regardless, very stubbornly. Um, and then Ben spent almost a year trying to like rehab through a couple different injuries. Um, and so then by the time I like came back, cause it, when I was in the lowest moments of that injury, I, I got to a point where I was just, I didn't even want to cross train anymore. I was just like, I'd been cross training for months, Um, and I, and I wasn't healing and I was just like, I was just like, I'm tired. I, it was like, I needed a season break, even though I hadn't had a season, you know, I just like needed some time off. So I ended up getting quite out of shape. Um, and so that of course, like delayed progress even more. Um, so basically by the time, by the time I felt like I was like fit and healthy enough to really undertake good training again, I was like, wow, I've really run out of time to try to master the marathon before 2020. Um, and so that's, I decided I better stick to the track through 2020 Olympics. Uh, and I, and I PR'd in the 5,000 in 2019 and I was still dealing with a little bit of a tendon issue. And so it was kind of like, even then my training wasn't at a hundred percent, but I was like feeling pretty optimistic that I'd figure out ways to like still get it done. And, and then I went and ran that PR. So I was like, okay, like, you know, I can, I can do the track. Um, and so that was basically why I was like, all right, I'm going to focus on the track through 2020. And then I'll focus, like, I want to master the marathon by 2024. Um, which is still the plan. It's just been shifted by another year. Yeah. How are you feeling about things going, going into hopefully what will be the 2021 Olympics? Yeah. Um, I have like, all along, or for the last year, I guess we'll say, basically, I felt pretty skeptical that the Olympics can happen. Um, and but now, like, we're getting closer and closer. Basically, in my mind, I'm like, if it's on, on April 1st, they haven't been canceled, I need to stop questioning this and just be like locked in. And then, so I, I, every day I get up and I train and act as if like they're happening and that, and that helps give me purpose to the day. And, um, and I really like my training has been going really well and I like where I am right now. So, um, that helps, you know, and, and it helps that I want them to happen, <laughs> like to allow myself to believe that they will. Um, but yeah, in the back of my mind, it's still kind of hard for me to believe that they will. So we'll just see. Um, so I, I know that's not like the best answer. It's kind of like, I don't know, <laughs> but, but that's, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody knows. Well, yeah. 
this whole year yeah has been yeah like that, right like yeah, exactly knows. yeah yeah I'm curious too like how you feel about the depth of women's distance running right now I mean like I don't if if someone predicts and I think any team like they're just it's like a fool's errand like there's just so many people on any one day that could make the team in I think literally any distance almost um and it's like it's not even just that like there's so much depth but the the times are so fast like it's just insane like all of these women that on a regular basis are breaking 15 right in 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 the 5000 like what is that like for you to see that evolution and be part of it? It's, um, yeah, it's crazy. I, it's challenging really to be, you know, very honest, candid. Um, it's, you know, I, I ran a 10,000 a few weeks ago and the time I ran 3140 is five seconds off my PR. Um, you know, it was disappointing because I really believed I was in PR shape and I, you know, I, I thought I was going to PR and, and run the Olympic standard. Um, so it was a little bit disappointing. And then I kind of had to like, hit pause and say like, you know, like 3140 in February is a good time. Like any other stage in my career, I would have been really happy with that. And, but it's just like where I stack up right now, you know, in February and March of 2021 compared to other American runners, like is pretty low compared to in past years. And so I'm having a hard time balancing that being process oriented, like, okay, like this is good for me and, and, and good for, you know, now or compared to where I want to be in June and, and my process with that outcome, you know, fixation of like, well, all that really matters is top three at the Olympic trials. And, and there are all these other women that look like they're in better contention for that right now. Um, yeah, it's just the, the depth is really amazing. Um, and, and so I'm, I meet with my sports psychologist a lot, basically, to to talk about, you know, like how I reconcile those two things. Um, and, and there isn't a great answer other than like, the only thing I have control over is is myself and, and my preparation and what I bring to race day. And so I just, you know, I have to keep finding ways to, to be better and, and, you know, and take some confidence from the times I've been running lately and know like, okay, that is good for me right now. Um, and just, you know, and believe that I'm going to keep getting faster throughout the season. And, um, I hope I'll be beating more people eventually. Yeah. And I mean, like to your point too, it's not just, I mean, I don't think it's just about like raw speed. It's about like the tactics that happen on that race day, um, who's in a good position, like come, you know, the final lap or whatever. And even like so unpredictable in terms of like injury or other factors like might happen. And you just have to like put yourself in the best position to be there. Um, yep, even exactly. as I, I'm like I... trying to like think about it on my runs of who's going to make the team. And I'm like, I can't even, I can't predict that because again, like I have to be like, well, this person might, you know, has a history of, of coming back. Like Kim is always a contender or like someone else could be injured. It's just like, you never know. Um, but I, I can't imagine, like, it's just, it's just crazy to see some of these times and these, um, you know, these things that are happening is it's exciting, but it's also like, it must be also kind of hard too, is like the standard goalposts are moving and you're like, what? I have to run 10 seconds faster. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I know. I know. It's uh, that's yeah. I mean, I kind of had to laugh at myself the other the other night when I was just like, oh, I didn't even get the standard. And then I was like, wow, in 2016, I would have run 35 seconds faster than yeah. the standard. Like, it's just it's a different world right now. Um, 
but yeah, like you say, like and the other thing is, you know, because of COVID and and the way things have, you know, the schedule's been impacted, like we can't use the same template that we've used in the past mm-hmm. at all in terms of like a season leading up. And so um, everyone has developed this mindset of like, you just seize whatever opportunity comes your way, which, you know, in some ways is great and and really fun, but it's also like, wow, like we're running really well for March and February and, and what really counts is going to happen in June. And, um, you know, most years people would be like hiding away and training and then emerging in May and leading up to the trials. Um, and, and what we're doing right now is we're all showing some cards in, in the winter, um, which is just interesting. And, but like you say, it's like, who knows where people will be in June in terms of like how they've planned and structured Mm -hmm. their seasons. So yeah, that is really interesting because everyone just wants to get out there and race. And so it's like, yeah, all the cards are on the table. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. Um, So we want to, you know, be super respectful of your time and appreciate all of the time that you've spent with us. But, um, you know, before we, we get into some sort of end of the podcast questions, you know, what do you think, your relationship with running looks like in like 10, 20 years? I mean, obviously in 10 years, you will run like a million more marathons and, you know, like become, (laughs) you know, like the next Des, but like, other than that, what is, what is your relationship with running look like? Not very different. I don't think, you know, I mean, you know, obviously I won't be getting paid to do it, (laughs) but um, I think, I will always run. I think I'll always want to have races on the schedule um, because I just, I like the structure of um, training for something and I love workouts. Like I like working hard. I like that afterglow um, of, you know, feeling like, you know, I I worked really hard today and and I love long runs. Um, You know, I had a moment in the pandemic when, you know, like last, about a year ago now, last March, and I was just like, you know, I, I went and did a workout. I went and did 10 by K and it was snowing. Um, and there, you know, the Olympics had been postponed and there were no races. And I was like, I had a moment, I was like, why am I doing this workout right now? And I was like, cause the pizza I'm going to eat at lunch is going to taste better. Cause I'm like knowing that I worked hard. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so it's like, I think I'm just, that's just how I'm wired. Like I'll just always, um, I think I'll just always do it. I think, you know, I'll do other things also. Like I'll do, I'll, there'll be more of an emphasis on some trail running. I'll throw in some mountain biking. If I still live in Flagstaff and it's snowing outside, I want to one day try cross country skiing. Um, but, but really running will be like at the, the foundation of, of everything. And, and I hope that, you know, after sport, you know, or after my career as a runner, I find, um, ways to still be involved in the sport. And, you know, I hope that whatever my career looks like next, um, is, is connected to running still. So, um, I am, I'm a board member on the USATF Pacific foundation, um, which, you know, when they first asked me to do it, it was kind of like, Oh, like, we just want to like have an Olympian on the board. And, but, but then when I got into it, it's like, I'm really into it. Like I, <laughs> I love, we, we give grants to, um, aspiring Olympic athletes from the Pacific association. And I like, I, it's like so satisfying to me to, you know, like I, I never thought I would be someone that would enjoy fundraising for example, but it's just like, I love doing it. Um, you know, I just, it's, I just find it like very gratifying to like, you know, to, to raise the money and then give it to athletes. And, and part of it is that, um, we didn't talk about this earlier, but my career really took off. The Sacramento Running Association gave me a grant, um, 
So that was part of like, after, you know, my parents had said like, okay, it's time for you to do this. And I was coaching at Davis and then I got a grant and that really allowed me to like build that bridge to being a pro runner. And so, um, yeah, I really, I like, I like being able to serve in that capacity and, and to try to like help make that difference for the next generation of athletes. Oh, that is so awesome. The run, the sport of running is, is so lucky to have you. I've, I've seen you race a couple of times. Actually, we've DM'd a few <laughs> times before this on, on Instagram, because I've just been so inspired by how much joy you bring to, to the sport. You as a competitor are someone who just seems to always be doing their best, working hard and having fun with it. And I think that, that connecting your story back to kind of giving back to the next generation is, oh, I, yeah, that that's yeah. really amazing. Thank you. Yeah, funny, funny story. So like a few days ago, earlier this week, um, Bridget and I were like texting back and forth about guests. And I was like, you know, who I would really love to talk to, like, we might not be able to get her on like, you know, all of these things. But in, a, in an ideal world, I would love to have Kim Conley on. And Bridget was like, Oh, I'll just DM her. And I was like, Okay, great. But, and so we're like so happy to have you here. But um, yeah, I mean, you're someone that's always stood out to both of us, I think, as someone who we admire and, and see the hard work that you put in and are um, feel lucky that you're part of this sport. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I'm glad to hear that um, you're you're not counting me out yet for the Olympic teams. Never. I still come no. from behind. Never. <laughs> Olympic teams, marathons, or you're the one to yeah. watch. We, we love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's so let's end with a few fun rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. But let me just warn you. Last time I did this, someone asked me what my favorite food at Taco Bell was, and I've never been to Taco Bell, so don't ask me that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we will not. No Taco Bell questions. <laughs> um, okay, favorite place for a long run in the Bay Area? You can Santa Rosa, Davis are included in Bay Area. Oh. Oh, that's a very generous uh, description yeah. of the Bay Area. <laughs> um, you know, but I think I will actually go into the, the Bay Area. I, the Iron Horse Trail, like in Walnut Creek, um, is really great. And you get that uphill, downhill effect, like just gradual enough that I love running long runs where I finish really fast. Like if I can like slip some sub sixes at the end of a long run and not have it be a true progressive long run, they just naturally come, even though I'm kind of forcing it a little bit. Um, <laughs> that's the perfect trail for that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. You tell the coach, you're like, it was just flowing. I yeah. I just, it just so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like pink faced, but yeah. they don't talk about that. <laughs> Who are some, who are some like women, you know, women runners that you've admired throughout your career? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So Sarah's, uh, you know, like obvious first one, but it's lasted my entire career. I mean, she had a very rough marathon debut and now she is like basically one of the best marathoners in America. Um, and yeah, so, you know, and like we talked about earlier, like, you know, she's older than me too. So it's just like, you know, you throw the numbers regarding age out the window and as long as she keeps, um, running really fast, it makes me inspired that, you know, I've got years ahead of me too. Um, Desi is another one that I've always really admired because, her PR when she graduated from college in the 5016 17 just like mine um so she's someone that I always looked up to as like oh like she made it and and you know so can I um and then Molly Huddle is you know she's just such a tremendous athlete and then and she's also my friend um and so I just I've really enjoyed like kind of having her as someone that I've been connected to for for so many years now in my career 
Um, and then do you want me to keep going? <laughs> I could just keep going. Sure. going but, um, <laughs> Wait, but, but yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> um, I mean, I like, I always, I really looked up to Shalane and Kara too. Um, you like kind of like coming up in the sport, like they, they were like the figureheads of women's distance running when I was really getting into it. Um, well, I will just tell you a quick, funny story, even though this was a rapid fire question, um, that in 2011, I was running a 10,000 at Peyton Jordan and I got really hyped up in the flow track frenzy beforehand. They had a poll, like who's going to win Shalane or Molly. <laughs> and, and I was like, Molly, like I voted for Molly. And then, um, when I was getting lapped in the race and Shalane was, and then Molly was nowhere to be found. Shalane was the one lapping me. I was like, Oh no. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then I ended up DNFing that race and Drew was like, well, like what happened out there? And I was like, Oh, like, I don't know, like side ache. And he's like, was your head in the right place? <laughs> I was like, well, I was kind of thinking about Shalane and Molly's battle. <laughs> <laughs> so then he, then he had a little talk with me about um, trying to see myself as an athlete that could one day have a poll about me rather than like, you know, idolizing them so much. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love yeah. that story. Oh, good. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good coaching moment. But it is. It's so fun to be a fan of the sport, right? It's true. Like, yep. It's just like how cool. Yeah. Um, okay. If you could go on a long run with anyone, they don't even have to be a runner. Who would it be? Oh boy. <laughs> that's so hard. Um, like, is this kind of like a if you could have dinner with anyone in history, but whatever, I'm going to yeah. take them on the a run. Version. Yeah. I mean, he might hate it, but I'm going to go with Winston Churchill. Um, yeah, I don't think he'd he enjoy the run, but it would be fascinating to have a conversation mm -hmm. with him. Yeah. He'd be smoking a pipe and like, yeah. <laughs> I should have picked someone a little fitter. Oh, well, no, I, I, there's no wrong answers. It's just like that, that long run creates space for conversations the way that a dinner party does. True. Um, uh, okay. Favorite race distance. Um, 5k on the roads because it's still like short, like a 5k, but it's not 12 and a half laps. Yeah. No, 5k's on the roads are so fun. Yeah. Um, okay. Finish the sentence. When I'm not running, you can find me. Snuggling my dog Smokey on the couch. Your dog is so cute. <laughs> um, okay. Do you have a favorite workout? Um, so many. But, um, so progressive long runs are like one of my, I, I just, I love them. They make me feel so strong and fit. And it's one of the few times in my training that I really like go to the well and finish like as hard as I can. Um, so I love those. I also love cut down efforts. So something like, like cut down miles where you're kind of like starting just slower than 5k and doing like three or four miles, like making sure each one gets faster. Um, and then Drew's this workout that I really like that goes, you aren't allowed to wear your watch. And so you go mile on the track, kind of like you're opening a 5k. Then you go out and do a two mile tempo on the roads. And then you come back to the track and you run a mile pretty much as hard as you can, like you're finishing a 5k. And then he tells you your times afterwards. And I always surprise myself at the end of that workout with like, really, I ran that fast for that mile. Like it's just, it's just one of those like confidence boosters. Oh, I love those workouts where you, where you don't know. I feel like high school track, we, we always do those, you know, kind of the speed play where like someone has to pick a pace or you don't know, or yeah. you set a full line after the first, after the first map when they've got to get there the second time. Like it's, I think that's so fun to keep it playful and you do surprise yourself when you yeah. completely strip those things out. Yep. Um, Okay. When was the last time you laughed really hard? 
um, I can't remember what it was about now. It was just the other day. Drew and I were just like cracking up about something, but I can't even remember what it was about now. <laughs> Those are the best. It's like yeah, something that's totally true. random. If you tried to explain it, it probably wouldn't even be funny. That's, that's true. <laughs> oh, yeah, it definitely wouldn't be funny to anybody else, probably. <laughs> okay, so now the last final most important question. And actually, when I was peeping your website, you have this great list of, of places that people should go in Flagstaff. And mm-hmm. one of them is like restaurants and the three restaurants that you listed are these three categories. So now we're going to force you to pick burger, burrito, or pizza. Mm-hmm. That's mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, burger. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's gotta be burger and like, yeah, it's, it's burger. <laughs> and a Guinness. I'm going to throw in a Guinness Perfect. too. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, Kim. Well, we will be watching for you at the trials and we will be having a burger and a beer in your honor. Um, we're so Thank excited you. for your future and honestly, just just can't wait. So keep up all the good work and thanks for everything that you do, inspiring us through your performances and your training and all the investments that you that you put into the running community. It's awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Kim Conley. You can follow Kim on Instagram at KF Conley, and you can find her on Twitter at Kim Conley. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Runners of the Bay. You can send us an email, runnersofthebay at gmail.com. If you have some time and are enjoying the show, you can go over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave a rating and review. We would be so grateful and we would really appreciate it. Thank you so much and we will talk to you soon.